morning journey. Uh, it's great to see you. Uh, I just want to say, and I, I, I did this at the nine. Hopefully I'll do it better uh, here now. Uh, but there's just been something in my heart all morning. And I, and I just felt like I wanted to, to say that, say this to all of you. And that's that I just love you. And I love the privilege that I have of getting to be a part of this spiritual family and to be one of the pastors here. Just all morning as I drove here, it was just overwhelming to me. And then uh, at the nine o'clock, I, I just felt like the Lord was just nudging me as I looked out and I would see these faces and some I knew and some I didn't, but I, I just wanted to say that. But at the nine o'clock, I was totally unprepared uh, to do that and I completely lost it emotionally. So I held it together here, but I just wanted, just wanted you to know how much I love you and I love getting to be a pastor here at this church. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and Dakota, he's back here for round two. He's, he was here at the nine, too. He's my, my biggest fan right there, Dakota. I really love you, Dakota. I love what we've been talking about these last several weeks around here. We've been talking about the way of Jesus, radical love and action. Because when I think about my life, I, I want to be like Jesus. And I love that our mission statement is just that. We lead people to radical love in action like Jesus. We wanna be like him in every way because I love him and I know that so many people in this room love him and I want us to hold him up every time that we come here and look at his life and hold our life up to it and just say, how can I make my life more like his life? I wanna love him in that way that I actually become like him. And we've said that around this series a little bit, is that we actually become like the things that we love. If you'd have told me 25 years ago that I would enjoy landscaping and flowers, I would have told you, uh-uh, no way. If you'd have told me 25 years ago that I would actually enjoy shopping and looking at handmade jewelry, I would have said, nope. Not at all. If you would have said that I would have decorating opinions, like really strong decorating opinions, I would not have believed you. If you'd have told me that I had a Pinterest account, well, 25 years ago, I wouldn't even know what you're talking about, but I wouldn't have believed it. But this is what I know. I'm married to someone that loves those things. And what I've watched is over 25 years of marriage that I've just grown to love the things that she loves. I enjoy the things that she enjoys. Friends, that's a picture of what it's like to become a disciple of Jesus. We're actually learning how to live the kind of life that he lived, and our life actually becomes like him because we love him. So here's the question we've got to ask then. If we're going to become like what we love, what is it that Jesus loved? What is it that he cared about? What did he invest his life in? What did he invest his time in? What were the things around him, his relationships that shaped his life? That's what we're going to talk about today, because if we're going to be like him, we've got to understand and know the things that shaped his life. We're going to look at three love relationships that Jesus loved. We're going to start in Luke chapter 6 today. Let's dive right in. Verse 12, it says this, one of those days... Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. He prayed to his heavenly Father. When we look at the life of Jesus, it becomes abundantly clear to us 
that one of the things that Jesus loved was his father. And it shows us here. He spent the whole night with him in prayer, engaging with him. This was the only time in scripture where it talks about him spending a whole night in prayer, but it was the normal rhythm of Jesus' life. What he did, they would say oftentimes he would pull away from the hustle and the bustle and all the distractions of life and he would get alone with the Father and he would pray. And here's what I find interesting about that. When we look at the the scope of Jesus' ministry here on earth, it was about three years, about three years of active ministry from his baptism to his death. He had three years to build a movement that was gonna change the world. He had some stuff going on. He had some things to be busy about. But what did he do? He regularly spent time pulling away so that he could spend time with the Father. I think about that all night of prayer. I mean, I don't know, what are we talking? Eight, 10, 12 hours? That's a long time of prayer. Wouldn't you have loved to have been a fly on the tunic? To know uh, like what was going on in that prayer time for that length of a time? What did Jesus say to the Father? I mean, did he just collect a bunch of prayer requests from all the disciples and take them to the Father? How did Jesus listen to the Father? How did the Father speak to him? Here's what we know in scripture. When Jesus talked to his disciples about why he was doing the things that he was doing, he would tell them, I don't do anything that I don't first see the Father doing. I listen to him and then I respond in obedience. How did that work? for Jesus? How did he hear him? What were the things that the father said? What did the father say to Jesus in that all night of prayer? Well, to be honest, the text doesn't tell us. So the real answer is, I don't know. But I've got a hunch about at least one thing that happened in that conversation with Jesus, maybe two. And my hunch is this. And my hunch, the reason for my hunch is this. Because in the first recorded prayer in the life of Jesus happened at his baptism, just a little bit before this. And here's what we know from that, is we hear the Father from heaven say something out loud to Jesus. Not only did Jesus hear it, but everybody that was there heard it. We know what the Father said. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of them recorded this. So that's like a flashing light that says, this is important. This is important. You've got to get this. This is what happened in that prayer time. Jesus' first prayer time recorded in the scriptures. Luke chapter three, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. And in my mind, it sounds like James Earl Jones. I don't know if it does, but to me it does. This is what it said. This is what the father said. You are my son, whom I love. And with you, I am well pleased. Pretty simple statement, isn't it? But pretty profound. Let's just right where you're sitting, try to personalize that if you can. What would it be like if you were in a prayer time and you heard a voice from heaven, the voice of the Father, 
saying to you, you are my son. You are my daughter. You are my child. And I just want you to know, I really love you. I really love you. And I also want you to know, I'm pleased with you. I'm really, really proud of you. Can you imagine what that would be like? The voice that spoke and created everything that we see in this world, speaking to you personally, saying, you're my child. I love you. And I'm really, really proud of you. What Jesus knew in that moment is that he knew he was the beloved. He knew that he was loved of God. And here's what I also find interesting. What was it that the father was so proud of? Like, what had Jesus accomplished up to that point? When we think about all the things that we know Jesus for, he had done none of them up until this point. He hadn't preached a sermon, not a good one or a bad one. He had done no miracles. He had no converts. He had no followers, no popularity to speak of. It wasn't about anything that he did that the father looked at him and said, you're my son. I love you. And man, I am so proud of you. Here's what I think. If this was Jesus, fully God and fully man, if in his humanity, he needed to hear from the voice of the Father, from his heavenly Father that he had spent eternity with up until that point, if he needed to hear that voice, how much more do we need to hear that voice from heaven over and over and over again? Reminding us, you are my child. I love you. I am so proud of you. Friends, that's why it's so important that in our life, we pull away to be with the Father. Remove the distractions of life. Remove the hustle and bustle of life and put ourselves in a posture to be able to hear the voice of God. Because that's what Jesus did and he did it over and over and over again. But you know, when we look at the life of Jesus, we know that that message of being loved by the father and the father being proud of him resonated and permeated everything that he did. It was in his gut, in his whole being. And it led to a lot of the things that Jesus wanted to talk to us about. Things that he talked to people about. One of my favorite stories that Jesus told was him trying to help people understand the love of a father for a son. Now, if you've been around the church, you've probably heard this story a lot of different times, but if you're new to church, I wanna recap it for you. Oftentimes, we call this story the story of the prodigal son. And the story goes something like this. A son goes to his father and he says, I want my inheritance and I want it now. I don't even wanna wait till you're dead. I want it now. And the crazy thing about this story is that the father actually does this. He liquidates part of his life, gives his son this inheritance. And what does this son go and do with the inheritance? Invest it wisely in lots of great things? Not at all. 
He goes to a far land because he says, I wanna do my thing my way. And he takes all that money and he squanders it in what the Bible calls wild living. You fill in the blanks. Wild living. But ultimately he finds himself at a place where he's broke and he's broken and he's starving. And as he's feeding pigs, he's thinking, the servants in my father's home have way more than I have. Maybe, just maybe, I could go back to my father and ask him, Father, could I just be a servant in your home again? I'm not worthy to be a son. Would you make me a slave? He rehearses his story. He's getting it in his mind, what he's gonna say, because he knows father's gonna bring the hammer. He just knows. But the father doesn't even let him get home. This isn't a father that's got his arms crossed tapping his foot on the porch. This is a father that sees his son a long way off and he can't wait to get to him. He lifts up his robes and he starts running to his son. And when he gets to his son, he grabs him and he kisses him and he holds him. And he says, son, welcome home. Welcome home. I love you and I'm proud of you. No judgment. He doesn't find judgment from the father. But you know what he does find? His father gives him a royal robe and puts a ring on his finger and throws him this incredible party. The father is just so glad that he's home. That message has to get to the deep places of who we are. That that's the father's heart toward us. I want us to think a little bit. I want us to look at a picture. This is Rembrandt's Famous painting describing what I've just described to you. He calls this the return of the prodigal son. I want us to just look at it and reflect for a minute. Just look at that picture. Look at that picture of that disheveled son. His clothes and his shoes are in tatters. A reminder that he's got a soul that's been in tatters because he's been away from home for way, way too long. He doesn't even look up. His eyes are hidden. He can't even look at his father. The guilt and the shame, the brokenness. My eyes are drawn to the red cloaks. The red cloak of the father. A royal cloak. In case you didn't notice, the guy over there on the right, that's the older brother of this story, and he's got one of those cloaks as well. But this son, he, he, he's got no cloak. Probably sold it for a night with a prostitute. We don't know. But it's gone. He can't even talk to his dad. He's saying, dad, just make me a slave. But the father grabs his son and he pulls him as close to him as he can. When I look at that picture, I just think about that son listening to the heart of the father. He's got his head right on the father's chest, listening to the heartbeat of the father. What is the heartbeat of the father? He's telling him, you're my son. I love you and I'm so proud of you. Welcome home. 
Friends, the reason that we've got to take time in our life to get alone with God, I'm not talking about read your Bible, pray, read your Bible, pray, read your Bible, pray. I am talking about that, but I'm talking about much more than that. We've got to create those times because we've got to hear the voice of the Father because that's what Jesus did. He listened to the voice of the Father and he was able to distinguish it from all the other voices that were out there shouting at him. Sometimes they were amazing, praising voices in his life, applauding him. But sometimes Jesus listened to laughing, mocking voices in his life. Sometimes there was praise. Sometimes there was rejection. On the one hand, there are people that are standing up and throwing down palm fronds and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Ultimate praise to Jesus but not very long from then, some of those same voices are gonna be shouting, crucify, crucify, crucify. Friends, we've all got voices in our life and we've got to be able to distinguish them. We've got to be able to distinguish the voice of the Father in the midst of them because that's what Jesus did. He knew one thing, I am the beloved I am the beloved of the Father, not because of anything that I've done, not because of what others think, but because what the Father has declared, I'm his son, he loves me, and he's proud of me. You've got competing voices in your life too, don't you? Maybe you've had some great voices that have been praising in your life. That's awesome. But maybe you've had other voices in your life as well. Voices that those words have created wounds in your life, have created doubts in your life about who you are, insecurities, created fear, maybe even isolation. As I was writing this, I was just thinking, why is it that nearly 40 years later, I can remember just like it's yesterday, my principal standing over my desk in front of all of my classmates looking down at me, snarling and sneering and saying, little Bobby Schwan, you're not gonna be worth a dime. We've got voices like that. Every one of us has those kind of voices in our life. But what these times of solitude create for us, when we pull away to pray and to listen to the voice of our Father, we get the beautiful opportunity to hear a way different voice. A voice that says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That love was there long before you were born and it's gonna be there long after you die. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Jesus knew this because he spent time with the Father. And if we're gonna be like him, we need to be the same. We need to pull away and listen to the voice of the Father. We don't know everything that the father said to Jesus that night in that all night of prayer that we read about in the beginning of Luke chapter six. But we do know what Jesus did after he came down off of that mountain. So I think, I believe that the father said something to Jesus about building a family because that's what Jesus did immediately after he came back. He said, I'm gonna build a family. I'm gonna build a spiritual family. I'm gonna create a place where people belong. 
the beloved of God, I'm gonna create a place where they belong. After that night of prayer, this is what the text says. It says, when morning came, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Jesus built a family. Called white-collar people to him, called blue-collar people to him. There were tax collectors, there were fishermen. Jesus even threw in a traitor. But here's what we know. Jesus said, we're gonna build a family after this and I'm gonna help you understand that you belong. Not only do we belong to the Father, but I'm gonna try to help you understand you belong to each other. And that's what Jesus did with this group of people, this spiritual family. He taught them how to learn to belong to one another, to one another. Here's the kind of one another's that they did. He taught them how to love one another. He taught them how to speak truth to one another. He taught them to encourage and exhort one another. He taught them how to forgive one another. Taught them to be patient with one another, to live in harmony with one another. Taught them how to instruct and accept one another. He taught them how to carry the burdens of one another. He taught them how to confess their sins to one another. And he taught them how to pray for one another. If we add up, there's tons of commands in the Bible, but we just, if we just add up the commands that use the term one another in it, meaning that Jesus is assuming that if we're gonna obey these, we've got to be connected to each other. There's almost 60 of those in the New Testament alone. God intends for us to not only belong to him, but to belong to each other, one another. I love how Andy Stanley says it. He says the, the primary activity, the number one activity, like the number one thing that all of us in this room need to be about is this. The primary activity of the church is one anothering, one another. Learning how to be a family. If we wanna be the church, we've got to figure out how do we do the one another's? How do we become a family? And here's a challenging observation that may be obvious to you, but I'm gonna say it out loud. Can I just say it? To be in this room and sitting in rows makes it challenging, if not impossible, to live out the one another's. It's impossible to do the one another's that Jesus is talking about, coming here today and sitting in rows. Now, now if the one another's that Jesus was talking about in the Bible was park next to one another, shuffle in by one another, pass an offering bucket to one another, look at the back of one another's head, we'd be killing it every week with the one another's. But Jesus has something deeper in mind, deeper one another's that requires that we become a family. When everyone's sitting in rows, we can't do the one another's. And so here's the honest thing. If we're gonna be the kind of church that Jesus wants us to be, we've gotta figure out how do we get out of rows and into circles. 
We can't make family in rows 75 minutes a week. We can't do it. We've got to figure out how do we make circles because families are made in a circle. What do I mean by a circle? I'm talking about circles that take place around a kitchen table as we have meals together. I'm talking about circles that happen around coffee room tables as we're in living rooms together and we're sharing our lives with one another, eyeball to eyeball, life to life, opening up the curtains of our life and letting people see in, experiencing God together. Circles around communion tables where we hold up the body and the blood of Jesus and we remember together the magnitude of what our Savior did for us. Maybe even just some little circles where we're praying together for one another, where we're reading the scriptures together for one another. These circles can happen anywhere. They can happen in homes. They can happen in coffee shops. They can happen in pubs. It doesn't matter. But if we're gonna be the kind of church that Jesus wants us to be, we've got to figure out how do we grow circles? Because family happens in circles. It doesn't happen in rows. I wanna think a little bit here about this kind of a progression. I'm talking about becoming beloved of the Father, understanding how much God loves us. Understanding that creates the kind of environment for family to happen, for real belonging to happen. Because when we talk about a spiritual family, it's not someone that's just lonely and empty, grabbing onto another person that's lonely and empty, trying to find fulfillment there. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's like, that's like having all ticks and no dog. It's just not gonna work. The picture that Jesus has is different. It's this picture that we know that we're beloved. We're grabbing the hand of the Father. We know that we are beloved of him but we're also reaching out to our brothers and sisters in tangible ways, making time for them, making life for them, and pulling them in to our life and say, let's be a family together. That's the picture of what Jesus did, and that's what he asks us to do. It's the loved grabbing a hold of the loved and building a family together. Is that easy? Is that even convenient no, absolutely not. Nobody has time for that. Nobody in this room has time for that. And is it messy? Yes, very messy to open up our lives to people and invite people into our lives. But is it God's plan for us? And is it worth it? Absolutely. Without a doubt, God asks us to build a family and my heart around journey is that we would do a better job, that we would move from rows and we would become circles, spiritual families together. But this whole idea of family that Jesus wants to build, the family isn't an end in itself. Jesus has a purpose for the family. It is actually the fuel and the vehicle that Jesus has ordained would be used to accomplish his mission in the world. It's spiritual families on mission with him that's gonna change the world. This is how Jesus explained it. In John 13, he says, so now I am giving you a new commandment. And here's one of those love one another's. Love each other or love one another. He's saying, just as I have loved you, 
You should love each other. Again, grabbing a hold of the love that Jesus is giving us and grabbing a hold of one another. Love one another just the same way that Jesus loved us. And here's the result. He said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. If we want people to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, Jesus isn't saying it, it ain't about throwing a lot of information at him. Let him see the kind of love that he produces in our lives for one another, that sense of belonging. And that's what Jesus did. He took this family and he took it out into the broken world. Took it into the broken world because he wanted the world to believe. Believe that he was who he claimed to be. This is how the text describes it. After Jesus called his disciples to him, they went out into the broken world. Verse 17. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, What Luke's saying is from everywhere, Jews, Gentiles, everywhere, everyone was flocking to him. And they came for three different things. They came to hear him. They came to hear him because he had a message of the kingdom. They'd come to hear him and they came to be healed of their diseases. Jesus went to the brokenness and he brought healing to their brokenness, physical healing in people's lives, emotional healing in people's lives spiritual healing in people's lives. He went in to the brokenness. And all the people tried, or those troubled by impure spirits were cured. And all the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Jesus gave them a message, he healed them. And where there was impure spirits, where the kingdom of darkness had taken ground that didn't belong to him, Jesus pushed darkness back. And if we're gonna be about following Jesus, we're gonna follow him into those exact same things. We're gonna bring a message of hope. We're gonna bring healing to people's brokenness and we're gonna bring light into the darkness and we're gonna push the darkness back where the evil one has taken ground that does not belong to him. And the reason is that the world would believe There's a word that the scriptures uses over and over to describe this thing that motivated Jesus to move toward the broken world. And it's this word, compassion. Compassion. If you break the word apart, it simply means with suffering. Sometimes when we hear the word passion, we think of, of romance. But the Bible, when it talks about the passion, you heard us talk about the passion of the Christ. It's talking about the suffering of Christ. With suffering. Jesus was with suffering. He suffered with people. When he looked out at the multitudes, he didn't just see crowds of people doing their thing. The scriptures tell us that he saw people that were harassed and helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. And it wrecked him. It wrecked him on the inside to the point where he said, I'm moving in there. And he says, family, this is where we're going. This is what it's about. We're to take this spiritual family into the broken world because we need to be with suffering. 
So what that means, friends, is wherever we see poverty, wherever we see loneliness, wherever we see suffering, wherever we see unbelief, wherever we see darkness reigning in the lives of people around us, Jesus is saying, go there. With courage, go there. Take risk and go there because that's where I am. If you wanna be with Jesus, we've got to move to the broken world. In 2008, at the Olympic Games in China, at the opening ceremonies, there was a scene. When the host country came into the stadium, carrying their flag, it was, it was just such a cool thing for that nation. Yao Ming carrying their flag, probably the most recognizable Chinese athlete of all time, seven foot six, Yao Ming, perennial NBA all-star. Everybody knew who he was, but nobody knew who that little kid was that was holding Yao Ming's hand. The Western journalists were scrambling, trying to figure out who is this kid? What is his story? Why is he getting a place of honor with Yao Ming? That little boy, his name was Lin Howe. And you might remember, not long before the Olympic Games started in Beijing, on May 12, 2008, a 7.9 earthquake on the Richter scale hit the Sichuan province of China. 70,000 people were killed. Lin Howe was in a schoolroom at that time. And one of the places that was the hardest hit, this multi-story schoolroom collapsed around him. Classmates crushed. But there was a handful of his classmates that survived. And here's what little Lin Howe did. He started to work his way through the rubble, trying to find some light, trying to find a way out. And ultimately over time, he found his way out of the rubble. Amazing that he was able to rescue himself. But you know what was even more amazing than that? Is what he did next. He went back into the rubble. He went back in there because he knew as he was leaving, there was two of his classmates that were still alive, but they were unconscious. There was gonna be no hope for them to get out. So he risked his life, he risked everything. He went back into the rubble. As the aftershocks were happening, rubble continued to fall around him, wounding him on his head and his arms, risking his life for others. Ultimately, he found his two classmates and was able to pull both of them out to safety. People were just amazed. A nine-year-old risking everything to save his classmates. And so they asked him, Lin Howe, why did you do it? You know what his answer was? My classmates elected me to be the hall monitor. It was my job. What if, friends, just what if? What if the church of Jesus Christ, the followers of Jesus Christ, had the same perspective and the same courage and the willingness to take risk for people that were lost and dying that little Lin Howe had? What if they were willing to take a risk, not wanting to be comfortable, but willing to move towards suffering, engage the broken world? What if? 
Friends, I believe our world would be turned upside down. I believed our valley would be turned upside down if the people that know that they're beloved of God, that belong to the family of God, just say, we're going to the broken world. We're gonna take that message of hope. We're gonna follow Jesus everywhere, where we live, where we work, where we play, where we go to school, everywhere, because that's where Jesus is. When we think about what we've talked here, we see that there's a shape. There's a shape of the life of Jesus. That if we're gonna follow him, that same shape needs to be the shape of our life as well. There needs to be an up component of our life. Not only our personal life, but our life as a spiritual family here. That we're just moving toward God, making time for him, listening to him, responding to him in obedience. If we're gonna be like Jesus, that needs to be a part of our life. There was an in component to the life of Jesus. He cared about the family of God, those who knew him. We need to take seriously being a part of the family of God, moving from rows to circles, being a family together. But our circles aren't about just making a circle that's us four and no more. In Jesus' economy, there's an out component. The family of God moves toward the broken world. What does that mean for us, Journey? As I think about what it means for us, I'm praying over and over again, we've gotta get out of rows and we've gotta get into circles. We've gotta understand that we're the beloved of God, but as the beloved of God, we need to reach out to one another and do the one another's, one anothering one another, as Andy Stanley said. We need to do that. And as we link arms together, that our lives would be about taking the love that we've received from Christ ourselves and taking it to the broken world around us. That's what it means for us to lead people to radical love in action like Jesus. We experience it. We allow the love of the Father to overflow in our life. We move toward one another and we reach out to the world around us. Journey, we wanna see community like this of up, in and out, all over our church but we've got to get out of rows and we've got to get into circles. Here's how I see it. Oh, this thing just broke. When we think about this gathering, and when I say we've got to get out of rows and we've got to get into circles, I'm not trying to downplay what we do here. This is really, really important. But what we also need to know that is really important is we've got to get into each other's lives. When we think about what this large gathering is, we think about the expression of a missional community. You hear us talk about that, a missional community. What we're trying to express as our church is a missional community is just a group of people who are trying to follow Jesus in this way, seeking the up relationship with the Father together, an in relationship with the family together, and an out relationship to the broken world. And our heart would be that this gathering would be just a gathering of spiritual families from all over the valley. And we come together to out of our circles into rows to worship God together, to receive vision for what it is that God is calling us to do as a family. And here's how I'm praying is that if there are people in this gathering that aren't connected to a circle, I'm praying that God would move them to a circle, move them to a spiritual family. 
Everyone needs a circle. Every one of us needs a circle. And here's how we're praying. Over the next 18 months, what I wanna, what we're believing God for is that we would see 40 of these around our church. 40 spiritual families around our church, 20 to 40 people that gather together regularly in homes, around tables, in circles to live out the one another's together. Because what we believe is that everyone needs a circle and that everyone in a circle needs to reach out to people and invite them into the circle. And every one of those circles needs to move out into the broken world. Journey, that's where we're headed. And we want you to be there with us. I wanna ask you to just put your things aside. As you lay your things aside, would you just ask the Father right now, what would be your next step? Jesus, we just want to humble ourselves before you and say that we want to follow you. We want to look at your ways, the ways that you did things. We want to integrate that into our lives as well. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you call us your children. You're proud of us. Thank you that that's true. Jesus, I just pray for me and for my friends that you would help us grow into the spiritual family that you're asking us to be. That you would help us to move out of rows and into circles where everyone would have a place to belong. And Jesus, I pray that we would be looking out, that we would have compassion the way that you had compassion that we would love those and care for those that aren't a part of your family yet. And we would bring your message of hope to them. Jesus, thank you for letting us be a part of what you're doing in the world. Thank you for letting us bring radical love in action to our valley. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.